Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. Good evening, citizens of Geconia. Today is January 26, 2014, and today the king returns to radio for his very first appearance since the lost episodes of Geckoland Radio. Ron Trimper is known worldwide for his influence in the world of herpeticulture and has been instrumental in bringing leopard geckos to America. Without his involvement, we would not be where we are with leopard geckos today, and we would not be having as much fun, that's for sure. Uh, it's a great honor to have him as a guest tonight. Um, you know, nobody's been... We have a lot of great breeders. We have a lot of great people that have brought some amazing... Uh, have done some amazing contributions to leopard geckos and herpeticulture in general. Um, Ron Tremper stands at the top of that list, and... If you've ever corresponded with him or if you ever have bought an animal from him, you, you, you just know. Like, you know this guy knows what he's doing. And just an amazing, benevolent person to deal with, just a, a good person, definitely gives back to the community. Uh, guys, check out his website, www.leopardgecko.com. He also has two great books. One is out of print and very hard to find, and it's pretty much coveted now, and if you can find it, you're going to pay like 500 for it, but it's uh, The Herpeticulture of Leopard Geckos, and the newest book that he wrote is called Leopard Geckos, The Next Generations. Uh, that book is going to be out of print soon as well. There's very, very few copies left. If you are a hardcore leopard gecko enthusiast, you better get that book before it's gone, and you better get it from him direct from his website so he can autograph it for you. Uh, if you guys know anything about leopard geckos, these geckos, if, if all goes well with uh, legislation and we keep our rights to own exotic animals, I believe that leopard geckos are going to be huge someday. I mean, they're huge now, but leopard geckos, what we can do with them in the future is just infinite. So, you know, that, that's why I say definitely make the right investment and get that book. And, and for all you beginners out there, you guys need a handbook. You can't just go around driving everybody crazy, asking questions to everybody and hoping they'll give you the right answers. Um, you know, you've got to do some of the research yourself. And the people that do that research themselves and read books and, and uh, go that extra mile are the ones that succeed in this. Um, if you have aspirations of starting a gecko business, which a lot of people are doing today, that's all explained in his book. He shows you how to do it. Gives you a lot of great uh, tips and tricks, and he doesn't hold back any of his his secrets, which is really cool. A lot of breeders, you know, won't give you certain information. Ron holds nothing back. Um, out of everybody, out of all the breeders I've dealt with, and believe me, I have found the best breeders in this by getting screwed over by all the bad ones. And Ron is by far one of the best breeders that I've ever dealt with. And uh, you know, the animals that I receive from him. They come to me in a, in a box so shipped so perfectly 
I don't know what it is, but when I open that box, and you guys can go see the videos I made about my unboxings, when I open that box, these geckos glow. There's something about them. I don't know what kind of, maybe he's putting a little special dust in there or some pheromones or something, I don't know. But when I open that box, I am just amazed. And it happens every single time. All right. So this is going to be an awesome show. I think I've said enough about that. That's for sure. Everybody, I see everybody in the chat room. Awesome. Let's see who's in here today. Chat room is pretty much filled. That's awesome. Let's see. Aaron Rodriguez, Angela, Austin, the other Austin, Brooke, Jillian. Jillian from Rainbow. What's up, Jillian? Uh, Glenn. Let's see. A lot of guests. We have Jay. We have Jeff. We have Landon Allen. Let's see. Who else? Oh, my God. There's a lot of people in here tonight. That's awesome, guys. Um, Loki Reptiles, of course. Loki was a big help today and handed out flyers and stuff for Gecko Nation Radio at the New Hampshire show. I really appreciate that, Chrissy and John. That was really cool of you. Thank you. Uh, Sean from Heavy Duty Reptiles. Big fan of the show. Awesome, Sean. Steve Barker, of course. Let's see. And Ty Malave is here. And Stuff Such is back. I don't know who that is, but that's interesting name. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, wow. Awesome. What's up, everybody? Wow, everybody's excited. That's cool. All right. Gecko Nation Radio, of course, would not be possible. Well, it wouldn't be possible without Steve, because Steve's a huge help. And if you didn't see the video that Steve made for Ron Tremper tonight, um, if, if you haven't lived yet. You've got to check out what he made. It's so incredible, and it's so creative. Um, it's on the Gecko Nation Radio uh, Facebook page. Please check it out. Give it a like. Give it a share. Steve put a lot into it. I also want to thank Steve's kids because they are the actors in his videos, and they do an excellent job. So awesome work. But in addition to Steve, Gecko Nation Radio would not be possible without its amazing sponsors. And everyone, my sponsor plugs are sincere. I really stand behind these businesses and these breeders. These people are great people. All right, check them out. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. ABDragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. ABDragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt reptile heat tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out ABDragons.com online and on Facebook. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more, and all at 20 to 50% cheaper 
than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or... It can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. That's right, everybody. That roach chow is the bomb. Everybody loves it. And uh, I also want to mention, very important, uh, AB Dragons uh, and uh, uh, the other sponsors do do special deals and special discounts for uh, Gecko Nation radio fans on occasion, and some, some of them do it all the time. You got to keep up with what's going on, and if you follow our Facebook page, you'll know about these special promotions. Um, definitely, uh, AB Dragons runs a special all the time, five percent off your order, and they sell FlexWat and Dubia. So take advantage of that. The, the code word for that is Gecko. Use Gecko at checkout with AB Dragons. You're going to get five percent off. Uh, something that you guys may be interested. We have a lot of fans in Canada which is great. I love everybody. But everybody up in Canada seems like great people. In fact, I haven't met anyone negative. I don't know if it's the clean air up there or what, or the mountains and the forests or whatever. It's got to be all that great stuff. But you guys are really cool up in Canada. And um, I have a special uh, interview coming up that I know you Canadian people are going to love, and that's uh, John Taylor from Herp House Magazine in the Reptile Apartment. I was talking to John today, and he's another significant contributor to herpetoculture and definitely one of those people that gives back and just just gives awesome, awesome information. His magazine doesn't have any actual advertisements. It's just, it's all content. And uh, basically, you know, people that contribute to the magazine get their, their names and their businesses uh, in there as part of the deal. So if you help the magazine out, you're helping him. So it works out pretty good. Um, another thing is, guys, if you guys are new to the world of leopard geckos in general, you're going to have a ton of questions. You're going to want to know what morph do I have? Um, how do I breed leopard geckos? What kind of vitamins do I need? Um, how do I keep them? What's the history created this? Who created that? All right, those are some of the only some of the questions you're going to have. If you want a place that's going to help you find those answers to those questions, you got to become a member of Gecko Forums. Check this out. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. That's right. We are proud. And the person that runs Gecko Forums is Chad, is, I'm sorry, is Thad from Ohio Gecko. I have another friend named Chad that I was talking to today. That's funny. 
Um, <laughs> Fads from Ohio Gecko is another sponsor to the show, and he's got some very, very unique tangerines, uh, interesting projects that are significant and uh, unique to his collection. He's got the Starburst Fat Tails. Uh, he, he does some really cool work with stingers and and uh, other fat tail mars too. But uh, I think he's going to be at the next White Plains show as well. So if you guys like to to be able to add another uh, reputable and respectable breeder to your list of people to acquire your animals from, uh, Thad from Ohio Gecko is certainly on that list. Uh, he wouldn't be a sponsor of the show if he wasn't. OhioGecko.com. All right, everybody. We're um, we're getting to the point where I basically made all the important announcements, and um, you know, I guess I could go on and make a huge introduction for Ron and state all his accomplishments and this and that. But you guys know already how great this guy is, and I don't want to make him uncomfortable and just flatter him too much, you know, because then he might get a huge, huge ego or something like that. But <laughs> Let's go ahead and just bring him on and and uh, get moving here. All right, the King, Mr. Ron Tremper, you are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, Big Dave, I'm right here in Texas. We got 73 degrees today. Oh, it's freezing up here. We got ice everywhere. It's <laughs> oh, great. We might might not be able to ship tomorrow. FedEx hub is supposed to be 12 or 13, and it's kind of mm-hmm. dangerous at those levels because you get some delays. But I was spending uh, a lot of time today uh, working my animals again, and uh, I just want to say before we get started that I appreciate everything you're doing and the great audience you brought to bear here on Gecko Talk Radio. Uh, the nation uh, really needs this kind of venue, and especially your Facebook page is so user-friendly and conflict-free. I think it's really important. It's even encouraged me to uh, get back into doing some posting and that kind of thing. And I just can't uh, thank you enough for all your efforts and and graciousness. So let's get this thing rolling. I I, uh, I was working thank in you, the halls today. You betcha. You deserve it. And I uh, appreciate all the listeners, too. Uh Listen, uh, I've noticed, I was talking with you the other day, Dave, uh, we both kind of felt like there's a lot of uh, rookies, new new crop, new freshman crop of gecko enthusiasts come on each year into the mm-hmm. marketplace. And um, I thought maybe we'd touch in since it's the beginning of the breeding season, uh, you know, get going here and give some tips and things, what I've been doing today even in the hallways and get ready for the new year and and kind of take it from there and let this show unroll. Okay, that's cool. That's, that's a great place to start. Um, we, we were talking about, I think it's funny uh, that what we were talking about, uh, how sometimes if we, if we overlook legs and uh, eggs in the, in the lay box, sometimes they'll hatch and they'll basically, you'll, you'll be cleaning and you'll have your adults in there and then there'll be a little hatchling right next to them just hanging out. I think it's pretty funny, and it's it's remarkable that not not only do they not eat those babies, but you know they don't trample them or anything. They kind of just let them let them be. What's your experience with that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've got a oh, I don't know about 
seven, eight hundred boxes with breeder females in them. And uh, towards the end of the year, uh, breeding season, we stop collecting eggs usually around end of September, and we we're bound to miss a few eggs. And that was the case this winter as well. There were four different boxes I, you know, opened even as recent as last week. I uh, opened a box of uh, sun glows and uh, here were two sun glow babies in with the females. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was, uh, they're doing fine. Of course, they can't. We, we've got the access hole in the top of the egg laying box, so uh, people kind of noticed that maybe on my recent video on YouTube. And, and so um, babies can't get out of the box, of course, although that has happened too. They apparently have uh, literally ridden on the backs of, uh, of their uh, mother out of the box because we have found them uh, in the main cage area and even under the hide box because there's a little ridge in our, in our blanket boxes that affords them a, a place to get under the, the hide box. So it's pretty funny. funny. I mean, I think it, it speaks volumes to uh, the beginners kind of worry themselves sick with, and it's natural. I did it too when I hatched my first leopard gecko, and and you just get obsessed about the eggs and are they fertile and are they going to hatch? And um, you know, I literally, uh, you know, during egg collection, I I fumble around sometimes and you know drop an egg and I'll I'll kind of do hacky sack with it so that, that you know catch it under my foot or or bounce it once before it hits the floor and. They always hatch. It's it's remarkable. I mean, so, and even eggs in the water, you know, I've had a little video on YouTube about that, and um, and we'll talk a little bit more today. Remind me, uh, you know, why geckos lay in their water dish. Uh, yes. But anyway, yeah, I just found a couple of babies, and, you know, back in 04, when I was preparing for my first book, Philippe de Vosolet was the publisher, and he and I were talking about, you know, this sort of thing, do adult leopard geckos eat babies? And so I said, you know what, I'll do an experiment. It may be, you know, lead to losing a baby, but let's do some science here. So I set up a bunch of cages, and I had some with just a single male, one with a male and two females, one with just three females, one with one female, then I took babies that weren't even their own babies and put two babies in each box. I just plopped them in, mm-hmm. in the, in the egg-laying box. And in none of those uh, different setups did any of the babies come to harm. There was no babies eaten, no babies, uh, uh, you know, munched on. And uh, so that was just an interesting thing. Uh, People, you know, get really worried about that kind of deal. And, you know, it makes sense because leopard geckos in the wild are, uh, you know, live in colonies. They live for a long time, and and uh, they obviously come across their own kind. It's not much, much advantage to the biological imperative to be eating your own species. And so, <laughs> right? um, yeah, so, you know, it's amazing. It, you know, and some people about the eggs, you know, now and then I get someone write me and say, uh, my leopard gecko laid three eggs. Well, it, it, I've never 
seen that happen in all my 36 generations of breeding and tens of thousands of egg-laying situations. And, and what it comes down to is egg-laying boxes have corners, and the gecko will tuck an egg right tight glued into the corner, and just the human hand, when you're digging for eggs, you'll not sweep the corner completely. You, you tend to make a, a turn there mm-hmm. with your hand with fingers, and you can miss an egg. So that's just so oh, I've done it. One of those things, and uh, mm-hmm. at any rate, um, uh, it's all going to be a good breeding season. There's lots of little things here to talk about, and I know you're getting ready to do a news break, so uh, we'll uh, get some other points here. You want to just uh, go to that now, or do you want me to continue yeah. a little no, bit? Yeah, well, here's what we yeah. No, that's cool. No, let's let's do the news. I don't want to leave Steve on the line too long. Basically how the news works, for all you guys out in the chat room that are new, um, what we do is uh, Steve is going to give us a, a bunch of stories. One of them is a false story. Okay, So when he's done giving us those stories, you guys in the chat room, we're going to basically take like a little poll and we're going to try to figure out which one is the false story. And, Ron, you'll get the first, you'll get, uh, first uh, dibs on giving your opinion, which is the false story on the air, then I'll go. Um, and then Steve will let us know which one it really is the false story. He's pretty tricky, i got to warn you. He changes every, every show, and he gets better and trickier. So he doesn't always make it easy. All right, so, Ron, you may, you may think that one is a false story, but, you know, it may be true. Well, actually, the true stories usually wind up being more <laughs> unbelievable than the false story. So keep that in mind. But um, that's basically how the news works. And then after that, he's going to give us a lesson in herp history which is a great segment that he's been adding. So let's go ahead and... Good evening, Gekkonians. Good evening, Steve. You're on with me and the great Ron Trim. How you guys doing? Good All right, Steve. All right. Before we start the news, I want to do... Uh, U.S. Arc has put out a newsletter that I want to mm-hmm. just let everybody know. Uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is asking if you keep, and hopefully I pronounce this right, Pichilotheria tarantulas. So hopefully hmm. I pronounce that right. But we need to establish with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that we do not require wild-caught specimens to support the pet trade because they're adding species to the Endangered Species Act, and that will ban the sale and transport of the P. killotheria tarantulas. And the information they're seeking is basically that we can and have su- successfully bred them in captivity. So mm-hmm. okay. um, you, you can go to usarc.org to post a, and follow the links in there to post a comment to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and um, they need those comments by February 3rd, so we don't have okay. long. And okay. and I I just posted on the Gecko Nation page and the Gecko Nation radio page the links to that, so everybody can go there okay. and sp- spread the word and let everyone know. Awesome. Okay, yeah. Cool. All, right, All right, and then... To start our news, we have an update. In November, an alligator was found loose 
in the Chicago O'Hare Airport. I don't know if you remember that. How could we uh, forget? Yeah. <laughs> and... <laughs> And video was captured of a woman with the alligator on a train leading to the airport. Well, the woman has been identified and charged with reckless conduct and animal cruelty. Now, the woman admitted to being high on crack, heroin, <laughs> and, and pills, causing her to be disoriented and losing the alligator at the airport. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, at least they Jeez. caught her, though, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but hey, and that I mean, leads... there's a joke. There's there's a joke in here somewhere. I just can't figure it out. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, and that leads us to our next story. Pete Watson was trying to coax a female crocodile with a stick at the Crocodile Creek Farm in South Africa when the crocodile lunged at him and grabbed him by the foot. All of this was captured by vid- on video by a National Geographic camera crew. Fortunately, Mr. Watson only lost a toenail in the attack. So that's cool. Jeez, lucky. <laughs> but lucky. Yeah, he's yeah. real lucky. It looked, it looked like a good-sized crocodile. So, yeah, he's, <laughs> oh, he's oh real God. lucky. <laughs> wow. And this this might be our coolest story of the yeah this is our coolest story of the night. Scientists in Australia have started working on the world's first initiative to collect and freeze lizard sperm for gene banking. This project hmm. is the result of a research program on the impact of cane to- cane toads that shows that certain species of reptiles in Australia will suffer population declines of more than 90% from cane toads. So that's a lot of reptiles that cane, cane toads are taking out, basically. Wow, uh, yeah. Yeah. Gene banking will allow, will, will allow research, researchers to ensure gen, genetic diversity and stop extinctions from happening. So that's huge. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. and maybe someday, you know, they'll do that for a wider variety of species. But currently, only three species are being targeted for the banking, and they are the yellow-spotted monitor, the Martin's water monitor, and the Mitchell's water monitor. But that, I, I mean, to me, that's huge. You know, I mean, that's yeah. almost like a Noah's Ark, you know, the start yeah. of a Noah's Ark, you know. So yeah. it's you know, start putting away, and then, you know, the we can stop the extinction of various species. So that's that's huge. Mm-hmm. Cool. So in our next story, of course, it's a snake story. An anaconda <laughs> crawled out of a toilet in Thomasville, Georgia. Oh, no. Yeah. Animal control captured the snake and police have no explanation as to how the snake reached the toilet. An expert said the reptile was big enough to swallow a baby. No size was described in the article, but the photos looked like it could be over 8 feet or more. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Where was that? Alabama? Georgia. That was uh, Thomasville, Georgia. Was someone using the commode at the time? 
<laughs> it, it didn't say. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> yeah, really. Poor snake. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then this this was this kind of caught my eye. The title of the article is Seven Things You Should Know About Dating in America. The number five on the list was Your Pets Really Affect Who You Date. Both men and women reported being much less likely to date someone who owned a reptile or a rodent. And one-fifth of the respondents would break up with someone if their pet didn't like them. And then the last last sentence in number five was, no word yet on how to tell if a reptile likes you. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting that that was That's out there. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. I once broke up, I broke up with a girl because she had too many cats, and I, every time I went over her place, I would get sick from allergies because I'm allergic to cats. But yeah, yeah. I can appreciate, I can see uh, why... I, my wife puts up with a lot, believe me. <laughs> you know, so oh, yeah. With a, she, she, the last expo I went to, I was I was at the White Plains, and she's. I came home, and of course, I always come home with something new, and that was the first. You always you always come home with something new, <laughs> you know. So she puts up with a lot from me. So, and I really appreciate that. So, I know where what this <laughs> article's saying, <laughs> you know. So. And our our last our last story. Evans Neighborhood Pizza in Fort Myers, Florida, is offering the Everglades pie, which costs forty five dollars. The pie features python meat, frog legs, pork, and swamp cabbage. Mm, so, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, they're 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 using the pythons that are in the Everglades, and you know the ones they capture, they sell to various establishments either for to make clothing or apparently food now. So I mean that's good instead of just euthanizing them and you know doing nothing with them. At least we're using them for something. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I'm not I'm not happy to hear any animal dies, but at least you know it's being used for something. But forty five dollars for a pizza because python meat is expensive. <laughs> so that seems a little you know. There's a hundred thousand pythons down there. I mean, should it be that expensive if there's that mm. many? Exactly, right? There isn't that many. That's the point. Right. Yeah. Well, hey, guys, you know, our our Domino's here in Bernie, Texas, has got that same thing for nine ninety five on Wednesday nights. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Really? No, I, I guess not, right? <laughs> what What I want to know is... That. <laughs> it's, it's, it's being called the Everglades Pie. And where does the pork... Oh pork come in there's are a they... lot of wild wild hogs down there in the everglades believe it or not is it really yeah oh okay maybe that's maybe that's what it is then i was just I, when i saw that i was like where's the pork come into the you know the everglades pie but <laughs> hmm. interesting 
Well, I just want to, at this time, um, not only was Ron thrilled, but uh, Steve, you did an incredible job with his video, his promo video. It was, oh, it was thank amazing. You. Thank you. Yeah, yeah we, it, it was we definitely had, one of the best. Yeah, we had, we had fun doing that. How did you make the, um, the effects where, like, the, the pictures changed? When he when when the, you know when the, he waved his hands over the table, you know. Okay, on the table, it was there was a I I cut a piece of blue cloth, and you can kind of see the outline of it. It's not perfect, but I, so I put a blue cloth on there. And what I did was I took Ron's pictures from his his website and Facebook and everything, and inserted them into that little blue screen, and mm-hmm. and that takes out the blue I, t- I can take out the blue and insert the picture and then I just I had a smoke or a fog machine going over the top of it and then I added the smoke that's on the pictures is fake you know so that I tried to blend it together as good as I could but um and then I just added you know the sounds and and uh the water drop looking um effect to it like you know, like it was like a a pulse or something that changed it. Mm-hmm. Oh, just crazy good, Steve. I just loved it so much. My family and friends loved it. Oh, my gosh, it was great, man. I I thought that, you know, you were smoking like five cigars or something with all that fog and smoke <laughs> going there. I, I, tell you, I, I tell you what, the fog machine might have been the hardest part because – when we when we did it, the fog just kept wanting wanting to go up, and so exactly. what I did what I did was I ended up because there's so much snow up here in New York. I ended up um, cutting up a, a plastic tote with a top on it. I cut a hole on one side and, and a slit in the other side, and packed snow inside of it so that the air was really cold in there. And I blew the the, the fog through that, and that kept it low to the table. And I oh, had to, very wow. Yeah, very so we it took 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 quite a while to figure out. I was like, man, I can't get this. I can't get the smoke to stay down, you know, because I wanted to just travel across the table. But yeah, so that took. I think that took the longest. Oh hey Ron, gosh. you have some experience. You have you have experience using uh, dry ice to make uh, magical snake morphs, don't you? Oh yeah, that crazy I I, YouTube video <laughs> I did. That, we were unpacking a shipment of frozen mice, and I had thrown it in the sink, and it was all. And I ran water on it, and started coming up out of there, and like crazy. And so I just set a plastic container down in the side in the in the fog with a with a lavender albino, and then and then showed everybody, uh, you know, a normal ball python, and and then showed them what I could do, and dipped it down into the the fog and came up with the albino, lavender albino in my hands. <laughs> it like a total goofball thing. You know, I was pimping myself and a lot of people, you know, really <laughs> loved it, you know. And, uh, you know, I couldn't believe there was one person that, you know, kind of like got sour about it. <laughs> it's really like, anyway, it's really, I just There's loved always your one of those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just appreciate it so much, and it was really fun. Great job. And imagine, you know, Steve, you're getting so good at these videos that 
you know, if you had formal special effects training, can you imagine what you'd be able to do? Oh, yeah, I know. I know. You yeah. may have missed your, you, you missed your calling, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I, I, well, I've, I've done some stuff with, uh, with latex and, you know, I mean, I've done zombie effects and stuff on my YouTube channel. I've done a lot of different things. And the, the ground where you see the Ron Tremper's hand, <laughs> the wizard yeah. hand reaches down into the ground. That's just a cardboard box. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah, that's a cardboard box that we, uh, I tried to make it as close as I could to, you know, like you could see the cutout of a hole in the ground, you know. But <laughs> well, everything was the, great. How did you the gecko to walk on, on your hand that way? Like so. Um, a lot of takes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of takes. Yeah, and that was just, that was just, you know, I don't. I don't even. I've got hours of video of. Okay, let's do it again. <laughs> you know, so. Oh my god, that's but, great, man! Such a such a great job, though, Steve. Absolutely that, that, amazing. That that gecko was one of my favorites that we hatched out last year of a um, bandit. It's got a nice yep. arrow on the top of his head. One of my favorites. Beautiful, beautiful color it's on that one. Absolutely. Um, hey, Steve. Do you hear that yeah. noise in the background? Um, actually, you want me to do the recap first? Oh, that's right. Yeah, forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh, yeah. I do hear the noise, but let me run through the recap first. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay, the recap is: alligator found in air, airport leads to arrest. Crocodile mm-hmm. farmer has l- lucky escape. Genetic plan to counter cane toads. Anaconda crawls out of toilet. Seven things you should know about dating in America. And forty-five dollar mm-hmm. swamp pizza. That's the recap. One of them is fake. Okay. All right, everybody in the chat room, let's see what your picks are. I'm thinking. Hmm. Yeah, the anaconda in the toilet is kind of is definitely. But he's tricked us that way before, thinking, you know, the most obvious one. Hmm. Uh, Allie's saying the sperm bank. Chad says the swamp pizza. Magma Gecko says crocodile farmer. Um, what do you think, Ron? What do you think is the false story? Well, I kind of think that crocodile farmer is. Let me tell you, when a Nile croc gets a hold of you, they do a, a death been a roll, and it's going to be a lot worse than a, a kind of bummed up uh, toenail. So I'm kind of going with the, the croc story's a croc. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that. That's, that's very witty of you. <laughs> I like that. Um, all right. I'm thinking, I think the addition to the original story about the alligator at the airport with the woman that's high on crack and everything is false, <laughs> only because if you're high on all those things, how can you even think straight to get an alligator anywhere? So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with that one. Uh, let's see. Amanda says the croc story. Hmm. A lot of people are saying that the croc story, the anaconda story. All right. So, Steve, what is the false story? Okay. The anaconda story is false, but... Oh. Okay. But 
It did happen in Saudi Arabia, and the article did say it was an anaconda. Now, this happened, like I said, in Saudi Arabia. But the pictures, it shows it's a reticulated python. But they're calling it an anaconda. Interesting. That's funny. Yeah. So, and it was good sized. I mean, it. it I, I mean, I could have swore it was it was over ten feet. I mean, according to the pictures. But hmm. how did you get pipes that size? Uh, it didn't look. It looked like it was probably malnourished. I mean, it didn't look very big around, but it was long. Oh, uh, gotcha. Okay. All right. I hear the. I hear some funny noises in the background. I think this is it. History. Indeed. All right. So I told you I was saving some some articles. This is one that I was saving, and I figured it would be a an appropriate one since we have Ron Tremper as a guest. So on April eighth, nineteen eighty seven, the art the title of the article is "Professor Wants to Dictate Sex of Lizards and Alligators." Professor William. Gutsky, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, successfully changed the sex of lizards and alligators by putting eggs in an incubator and controlling the environment he can produce the sex he wants. Then he tries to change the sex again by injecting the eggs with hormones. This study used alligators and leopard geckos. April 8, 1987. Yeah, that's pretty hmm. cool, and it and it it has a lot more. Inf- it was a pretty good sized article. It has a lot lot more information in it. Wow. Okay. You familiar with that story, Ron? Yeah, exactly. And you know, this led to them checking a lot of other reptiles and found out that turtles and tortoises have uh, temperature sex dependence as well. Wow. Real cool. Yeah. All right. That'll yeah. be up on the. That'll be up on the GNR uh, Facebook page for you guys to uh, link to and check out. I like that. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. All right, Steve, why don't you give out your information and um, so everybody can find you. And once again, I just want to thank you for the terrific job you did on Ron's video. Excellent work. Yeah. Oh, thanks, thanks so much, Steve. Thank you. Um, you can check me out on Facebook and YouTube under BC Barker Creations. And I just uploaded some new videos, finally, and I shot some more video today. So there'll be some new stuff on there, finally. (laughs) Nice. All right, cool. Awesome. All right, then we'll talk to you again uh, next week, then. All right, I'll see you there. All right, later, Steve. You too. All right. Everybody, thanks for participating in the the false news story thing that we do out in the chat room. All right, let's get right back into our interview with Ron. And we were starting our interview talking about uh, little breeding uh, tips and tricks because we are coming into the breeding season. Um, Ron, why don't why don't we start with with ovulation? It seems to be a good place to start because ovulation, how long it lasts, what triggers it uh, in the female leopard geckos. Um, and we could talk about what your experience and what what appropriate sizes females should be, and I'll just let you spin with it. What do you think? 
Sounds great. Yeah. You know, it, I'm starting to get quite a few uh, emails and messages uh, across the board here on that topic from from the beginners and the first, second year people. Uh, they're really anxious to breed, you know, get their first eggs and have them and why isn't there female breeding and let's just kind of start with 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 the fact that um, first year females are you know need to be uh, I like them to be uh, over 50 grams but some females are going to cycle in you know at sometimes a little less I you know uh, I don't usually like to breed them but beginners people that just have a couple of females don't have the luxury with the sheer numbers that I have and I'm not worried about a couple eggs when I'm concerned about how hard it can be on a first-year female to, you know, breed her early. But uh, let's assume, you know, somebody has leopard geckos out there right now that's going to listen to this broadcast and has 50-gram animals. Uh, good to, once they hit 50 grams and it's this time of year, to uh, introduce them uh, into the male's cage every two weeks and uh it's good very important to supervise there's there's males that are just gentlemen there's males that don't know what's up and there's males that are just you know you know would be in gecko prison if if there was one and um <laughs> you know they just <laughs> you know attack the gals and 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 can be rough with them and so one mistake people make is that they're so darn anxious to get breeding going that uh, they'll leave the female in, uh, and, uh, and uh, if the female's not cycling, uh, you know, she's not going to, you know, entertain the male mating with her. It's just not going to match up. He Typically, when the male sees another leopard gecko in his cage, He'll become uh, quite alert. He'll stand up high on his legs, and he'll vibrate his tail violently. It's very rapid, mm-hmm. and and you, it's an unmistakable sound. Uh, it, you know, it's like winding up a, a rubber band real tight with a, you know, and uh, with a propeller against some paper or something. It's it's very evident. And so, what happens is, is if the other gecko doesn't respond the same way, then the male makes advances. Of course, if the other gecko responds with tail vibrating, uh, then you've got two males together and all hell's going to break loose. It can be really a nasty situation. They get a hold of each other. And uh, mm-hmm. but So some of the males just, uh, you know, if you've got a good male and all, he'll come up and kind of start at the tail, lick the female skin, and uh, check her out. And if she kind of slaps him with her tail or, or moves away or, or swings and tries to bite him, he'll just back off. He knows that she's not ready to be bred by her smell and taste. And and um, so nothing's going to happen right then. And so you know, people need to supervise their introductions unless they really know their male well. Uh, and, you know, some males, you can just leave the female in all the time, and they get along great, and it doesn't stress the female. And uh, But for everyone listening out there, the best way is keep females 
one or two per cage and just introduce them to the male and uh, and then uh, keep notes. Make sure you a have lot of a people, post over. Hey, Ron, yeah, let me just jump ahead. in for a quick second. Yeah, just uh, a lot of people don't like uh, the uh, the aspect of introducing the male to the female for some reason. And um, I find it easier sometimes if I have one female ovulating in a group and another one isn't, you know, I'd rather not have that male not make a mistake and go after the non-ovulate female. So uh, just to clear, to make it clear to some people out there, there really isn't an issue with introducing a female to a male's environment, is there? Well, here's my take on it. Some of the males, you know, are fine, and you can pick them up and bother them and put them into the female's cage and and do it that way, and he'll he'll locate the right female. I, you know, if you've got two females, you know, he, he might just get a little crazy and be bothering the one that's not cycling, like you said, so let's be safe. The other thing is, is don't bother the male, typically, you know, by picking him up or checking him in his hide box or messing around with him, because then he thinks something's wrong. And typically, when a male will abuse a female or, or react poorly is if you've been handling another male right before him and that smells on your hands, they can detect that. I, I tell you, I've seen it so many times. And mm-hmm. and uh, you, you've got, you know, you're handling a male. If you just go to pick up a male that's normally calm, he sometimes will get crazy and bite you or get, you know, very defensive because he can smell that other male. Now, uh, you know, so don't bother the male. Put the female in his cage. Let him be on his turf. He checks her out. You supervise. Watch for the mating. If there's going to be a mating, it's going to happen within five minutes. And if yep. it's going, going any longer than that, just take your female back out. Make a note on the cage. I would have posted. Put the day down. Try it again in two weeks. And, you know, you can uh, look at my, um, you know, I've got an app, Leopard Gecko Pro, and uh, there's some chapters there on breeding along with the pictures that are of the morphs. There's some written information in that more expensive app. And also in my book, there's clear pictures where I've showed the difference, you know, on how someone can kind of slightly bend the female over their index finger while they're holding and looking at the belly, and uh, this brings any uh, ova that are usually bright orange or a little reddish color the size of a pea right to the surface. And um, a lot of people mistaken fat bodies for uh, as eggs and uh, get all worried and think they're animals egg-bound, and, and then they finally send me a picture, and we're just dealing with fat bodies. So... Um, right. Most of leopard geckos in North America are going to come in to cycling no matter when they were really hatched in in uh, 2013. They're going to start cycling this week or the, by the by the end of February. I've, I've got several hundred females that are already showing follicles through the belly quite well. And, you know, the biological imperative, Dave, is not waste those follicles. So they'll hold them you know, uh, for a long time till a male, you know, breeds them. Um, typically, though, uh, you know, a lot of 
of first-time people, even even myself once in a while, I'll miss a, a virgin female's first, first clutch of eggs. And that's because if you wait on a virgin female her very first year, and right now a lot of people have those kind of animals that are listening to this broadcast, they have animals that hatched, you know, last spring or summer. They're ready to go. They're, and by the time you see follicles for the first time, it's too late to get those fertilized. Um, what what you have to do is once they hit about 50 grams, you just have to start putting them in with a male every two weeks, and and sometimes then you can catch that first two eggs. And, and a lot of times a, a virgin female will lay one egg, you know, their first time around, or a real old female that's going out of reproductive condition and becoming close to menopause will lay only one egg. But... Um, so, you know, people shouldn't despair. A good, healthy female can lay up to 16 eggs in a season. That's not uncommon. And uh, right. so, so, you know, you miss the first egg or two and they get a squishy egg. Uh, people get pretty hysterical and <laughs> upset and sad and, and all. But, uh, you know, uh, you just got to, every two weeks is a good safety margin that you're not missing something. And, of course, they store the sperm and, I like to uh, make sure females are exposed to a male every month. Uh, important projects I do every three weeks. They can store sperm. Some females do a good job at that because of the male um, that's with them. And, and some, you know, you just want to play it on the safe side. So uh, in com- big commercial setups like you have where some of these places around the country that supply Petco and PetSmart that they keep a male with the females at all times, and you get diminishing returns. There's a lot of stress on the females. You'll lose females. You'll have females that are breeding too young and get egg-bound. And uh, so there's a lot of pressure, um, you know, when you try to run, uh, you know, three or more females in a blanket box with a male all the time. So... You know, those are some of the starter starter points there. Ron, one of the questions I get a lot from people uh, during their first breeding season is exactly how long will an ovulating female ovulate for? Now, I know you said that they'll usually, you know, keep going until a male's present, but on average, what would be the maximum amount of time that you can expect to have a window of opportunity to pair that female with a male before she stops ovulating? A good, healthy female will, will keep those, you know, everything ready to go to answer your question, you know, three to four weeks, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. more. And if they're not exposed to a male, uh, if you just have a single female at home and it's a pet and you notice some orange spots showing through their belly or something, they'll re- usually reabsorb those and uh, and not slap an eggshell on an infertile Ova, you know, and not pass a bad egg, but uh, some females are so you know healthy and and all they'll um, they'll lay you know infertile eggs, and the infertile egg just feels like kind of a half-filled uh, hot water bottle. It's mushy and soft, and and uh, you know a good egg, unless it's just been laid within five minutes, you know, firms up and feels like a stale marshmallow. Quite, 
quite easy to tell. But uh, people get pretty pretty upset with infertile eggs and and uh, and that kind of thing. And you know, feeding is so important. Uh, you know, I've used mealworms for for all these uh, uh, 37 years. And that, by the way, I want to give a shout out to Jillian, uh, the Rainbow. I I've dealt with rainbow mealworms for 47 years, and uh, that's amazing. In, yeah, I started in 1963 or four or something like that. Maybe it's been 48 years now with uh, Jillian's dad, and uh, when I was uh, just like 14 years old, and uh, then uh, in 1987, I, I I took her father Fred the. Uh, Zophobus, the superworms. I brought those over to the nation and got them approved by USDA. And and since I was spent, well, I was in Fresno and spent, had been there uh, 42 years before I would move to Texas. I was a California boy and dealing with rainbow. And so I took Fred Rhyme, the uh, the superworm adults and beetles, and we made a bargain for some years and gave him the name and. So we got a little mealworm feeder history there. So a shout out. I, I really always enjoyed uh, Fred. I'm, I'm sorry about his passing. So, um, but anyway, feeding is so important, guys. I mean, you've got you know energy in, energy out. And if you want to get the very most out of your female leopard geckos, give one pinky mouse a week once they start laying, because it's energy in energy out and so I uh, don't advise feeding pinkies year-round it's too much protein for a leopard gecko and they'll get intestinal gout it's a hardening of the organs and it's just too much protein and uh, males you can give them a pinky once in a while people say oh they like them well yeah they do but uh, it's not good for them to feed more than than one or two a month for males really I mean Males tend to get overweight, as we know, anyway. And that's another issue there, Dave. You know, some of the beginners get so worried about their gecko eating, they literally are self-defeating with overweight geckos. And uh, have you noticed that with any of yours over your course well, of experience, Dave, with overweight yeah. females not laying at all? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, in fact... I first bred leopard geckos when I was 16. I'm 37 now, and uh, they were just normals. And I bred them, you know, back then as uh, it was my first time, and it was relatively easy, and my females uh, weren't fat or overweight. Uh, but when I got back into breeding them um, as an adult about four and a half years ago now, I I made the, mis- my, the first year, I made the mistake of overfeeding several of my females. And, uh, in fact, you know, it, they got to the point where they were just, I mean, they look great. I like the way they look all fat like that. But when I went to breed them, not only did they lay in fertiles, but uh, one of the females just became egg-bound. And she she didn't die or anything. She wound up keeping that egg in her for a very long time. And then finally, the egg passed. She was able to pass it, like, I don't know. It was several months after the fact. And But nowadays, I learned my from my mistake and... Um, I keep my females at a nice lean, you know, the, the adults, the bigger adults at like 55, 60 grams, and I don't have any issues. Now it's kind of mechanical. I can just 
I'm at the point now where I don't even have to think about it anymore, and I and, the, and I keep my females at a certain size. I can tell which ones are uh, needing more food and which ones aren't, and you get to you get to just know after a while. But I was paranoid too um, after that first season because I was like, well, what did I do wrong? And then I started monitoring everything. So yeah, I know what you're saying, but I definitely have experienced that overweight or big fat geckos does not mean more eggs or, you know, better egg production. That's for sure. That's right. And, you know, it's, you know, I dealt with a, a, a guy today. He was just so scared and worried about his, his leopard geckos. And, uh, you know, I always have people send me a photo. And, by the way, I answer every one of my emails. And uh, Yes, you do. But, uh, That's incredible. No matter what they are. So I, I just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're all in this together, and I, I just try to share as much as I can. And and I have to, but I always do answer all the emails and messages that I can come across. So this guy today sends me these photos, and you know, he was telling me how his gecko's gone off feed and he did this and that, and he just recently got a new gecko and all this stuff. And so you know, you start thinking, oh, disease or temperature so I said well send me a photo send me this he sends me this photo and this female gecko is just monstrous I mean she's like her belly's twice the width of her head uh she's got a tail that you know talk about chunk in the trunk I mean this thing was had some booty <laughs> on her and this is crazy you know this, I said you know I took one look and I said there's nothing wrong with your gecko I, your gecko's obese and it's shutting down, and uh, you know it's it's just uh, you know uh, once they get like that, they they literally can eat one cricket a week and stay the same weight. So right, uh, they don't do anything. So it's, important, it's important now. You know, you know what's the perfect weight of a leopard gecko? That's hard to say because we're dealing with length there, and we have giants and super giants and so forth, but generally, guys, uh, you know, just their belly should be just slightly wider uh, when they're resting and you're not handling them than the width of their head. That's a nice trim. I'm going to lay a lot of eggs body weight. And the size of the female doesn't matter. Sometimes I've got some... uh, I've got a, a super galaxy here that uh, the super snow eclipse that uh, is a kind of a small gecko, and she laid 16 eggs last season, and, right. uh, and with no no health issues. Of course, she's housed by herself and treated like a queen, you know. You have projects, but I, over the years, you know, when I first started. No one knew how to do anything. I mean, there was a few people bred leopard geckos in the 70s in this hospital over in England that was doing some experiments, and Ernie Wagner up at Seattle Zoo, and I got his whole colony in 1978, I guess it was. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's just crazy that uh, everybody had this idea about breeding, and I, I made these big eight-foot metal troughs, and I put a hundred females and one male in a trough with heat <laughs> gravel, with heat gravel, with heat tape, and it used to be this, this 
stuff you wrap with pipes. It was about a half inch wide, this heat table, and uh, mm-hmm. you'd have to crush the thermostat so it wouldn't, because it was only geared to turn on when it was like 35 degrees, so we always had the improv, but we're talking like 1981, and I <laughs> still have these troughs. I use them for tortoises now, but I had all this this pea gravel. I had ashtrays sunk down in the pea dra- gravel full of mealworms. I had, you know, a couple egg-laying stations. I had, uh, you know, egg carton tops for hide boxes over the this heat tape that was laying around in there. And a hundred females and one male, you know. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, it was just insane. You know what? It worked. It just worked. I, I had to, you know, the poor male, I realize now, I had to change out the male every, like, two weeks, you know. Can you imagine? And, uh, yeah. you know, and so, I mean, gosh darn. And, you know, of course, we had the joke people would come over and look in this trough and go, well, how do you know which one's the male? And I said, oh, he's the one with the smile. So, anyway. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 So then as been, things progressed, you know, I cut it down to, you know, uh, these smaller cages with 20 females and one male. And it's progressed over time that I found that the best way is just to have one or two females per blanket box, and I move the mail of selection, you know, through like 10 boxes. So every day I move, you know, 20, 30 males, one staff down the, the line, you know, to mm-hmm. a new box mm-hmm. so, that, so that those females are getting visited every 10 or 11 days by a male. And uh, but the best results in the world are one female per box. You know then exactly what's happening. If you, you know, on my video I showed we used a little code, a plus, a zero, or an X. And that's yep. a good way to track things. Um, and that's real simple. And it speaks to itself. And on my video on YouTube of the facility, it shows clearly when a female's not producing or because if you're using a male down 10 cages and and nine of them are laying eggs, then you know it's not the male, you see. And you can quickly pinpoint a female that's not breeding and, uh, you know, put her out into some nice kid's hands that wants a pet. But, uh, right. yeah, you yeah. know, it's, it's good stuff. But people should just be... Uh, comfortable, you know, it's really hard for the first-timers to learn how to hold the female and kind of archer over your index finger and bring things to the surface on the belly. The way to get around that, just put her in with the male every two weeks for the next six weeks ahead, and pretty soon you'll start getting eggs and and uh, be on your way for a good year. Yep. And um, uh, just so everybody knows, we're going to take a quick break right now, and we're going to come back, and I have some uh, interesting questions for you, Ron. Uh, We'll start out, uh, I want to start out with uh, your feelings on uh, a lot of, uh, we're seeing today a lot of new hobbyists and new breeders coming on the scene, and I have some questions that I'd like to get your opinion on. So we'll start with that when we come back. Um, Everybody, at at near the end of the show, 
Uh, I think Ron wants to take a couple phone calls, and the number for that is 646-478-5331. Again, it's 646-478-5331. And we will be right back, everybody. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by abdragons.com. is your source for the highest quality doobie roaches. Whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps, abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www. Dot .rainbowmealworms.net Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more and all at 20-50% to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or Message me on Facebook, and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. Okay, everybody, we are back, and I also want to mention that... uh, uh, Ohio Gecko is also on board as a sponsor now, so check out uh, OhioGecko.com for amazing fat tails and really cool tangerines. Um, I'm, re- I'm really partial to his uh, reduced pattern snows and some of these really interesting projects that he's doing. So definitely check out OhioGecko.com. All right, we're coming back to our second part of the show with Ron. And <clears throat> a couple things that I'd like to talk about in this hour is I'd like to, and I'm sure you guys are probably interested in, in how all this got started with Ron, and he's basically been able to pioneer a lot of interesting things with leopard geckos, but the origins and, and how fortunate he's been and been able to keep doing this for so long is interesting to me. Um, before we get into that, though, I want to ask, ask you, Ron, uh, nowadays we're seeing a lot of enthusiasm for leopard geckos, we're seeing a lot of new morphs, a lot of new combos, and we're also seeing a lot of new breeders and hobbyists coming on board. And I, while I, I definitely encourage everyone to get involved and follow their dreams and 
breed your, your animals, and if you want to start a business of it, so be it. That's great. Um, do you ever feel, though, Ron, that it's possible that maybe there will there'll become a time where we have, <clears throat> excuse me, we have too many breeders out there, perhaps? No, you know, it's really the, the more the better, in my opinion. You know, if I was only one making money breeding leopard geckos, nobody would, would do it. And I, you know, I'm, I'm happy for everyone to be competitive and making money and doing their thing and everybody's carving out their niche. And let me tell you, there's plenty of room to make your mark now because of the mathematical combo potential. It's just uh, off the charts, you know, and I, I, I really pray we never, we don't come up with a fourth line of uh, albinos ever. It's going to be a nightmare. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, the first, I was just telling my snake curator here today, uh, we, we were both put in a seven-hour day here, and, and I was saying to him, I said, you know what, if you don't have this a passion for this uh, reptile breeding at this level, a big operation that can support you, um, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. And I said, don't quit your day job. And so that's my message. I have had so many, even close friends, get all excited and they want to, they do the math, you know, they've hatched 10 leopard geckos or a bunch of corn snakes or 100 leopard geckos. They made some money selling at a show and now they've done the math and they want to quit their day job. And whatever you do, don't do that. Now, it's possible to be totally self-sufficient. I'm a living example of that. I have been totally uh, relying on my wits and captive breeding of reptiles uh, for 31 years now uh, since I left the zoo profession. I'm still very involved with the zoos uh, and all, but um, I have been on my own, and, of course, I've written books and done apps and thinking outside the box. When you're running a big operation, it's a business, and, uh, you know, they don't know when you're tired. They don't know when it's Christmas. You don't know when you're shorthanded. And, uh, you know, we have 3,000 animals that never leave here. So mm-hmm. all I can say is that the most enjoyment I have found, and in fact I canceled you a couple of years ago, Dave. Um, yep. You know, people uh, get the first year, there's a deadly mix <laughs> that can happen. And that's when money, uh, financial resources come together with knowledge and a a burning desire and some space. And then what happens, I call it acquisition fever. And it's usually uh, this disease occurs for about one year. And people go wild. Uh, They find out there's so much more out there going on besides uh, the local pet store chain. And once they find there's this whole thing on the Internet and the shows and forums like yours and all this stuff, whether it's snakes, turtles, or or lizards, they go wild and collecting and getting more and more. Uh, there's there's lots of reasons to uh, keep and breed reptiles and, uh, you know, uh, making money as your sole income is, is very difficult and very challenging, especially the last five years to launch a new endeavor or a new shop is 
is very tough. And typically, people that are doing reptiles full-time have a spouse or someone that's working a regular job so they can rely on that. As far as too many breeders, the more the merrier. You know, we're going to come out of this recession, and what was happening prior to 2008 was that everybody was breeding no matter what kind of herp it was. And uh, in the leopard gecko industry, everybody was selling their stuff, having some income, and they were reinvesting that income into the other breeders that had some geckos at a higher level, a different cool morph or whatever uh, to get involved with. So they had their dreams and sights set on that, and it was easy to convince themselves or or if they're married, you know, their wife or, or husband, that, hey, you know, this is my hobby. I've made, you know, $3,000 here this last couple months, and I'm going to buy some more geckos with it. And so that was feeding the industry. And, um, and you know, there's so many morphs and things now, you know, it's pretty hard for any one breeder to cover them all. And so... Uh, we're starting to come out of that. I've seen a jump in, in sales. Uh, I think you have, too, the last, you know, 30 days. Maybe it's just people mm-hmm. look, getting, their, getting their 1099, you know, and, and looking at their tax money. I chart all this because it's a business for me and, and very important. And, uh, you know, the last three years we had a little spurt at the very end of February into the first week of February, and then it just stopped like you turned off a switch. In fact, at the height of the recession, I did not sell a retail leopard gecko in America from March to the middle of July, a four-and-a-half-month four period, one of those years. I believe it was 2010. And, wow. Uh, yeah, and we're talking about, you know, where we were selling three or four retail leopard geckos off the website a day. And so... We watched our retail sales drop from 2008, really this month, drop to 83%. So that's why I took all my business to Asia where I was well-known. And, you know, we've shipped to Hong Kong, Korea, and Japan in the last 30 days. So we, you know, you have to go where the money is and and follow the kind of that trail. But there's... uh, you know, a lot of trading going on. There's a lot of people buying geckos. I'm, I'm selling geckos every day right now. So I think there's going to be a little jump. I hope it continues past the middle of, of February. And, you know, it's it's a great time. It's a great hobby. And uh, you were talking about all the laws and things last week on the show. I, I'm on the board of, of uh, Texas ARC. We've started a state chapter of under the U.S. ARC and uh, called Texas oh, ARC, cool. and we're having a big, yeah, and uh, I'm on the board for commercial breeding, captive breeding input, and bring my experience to bear. We've got a good group of people, and they're going to start different chapters because we get, we want to support U.S. ARC, of course, and we want to do educational things and and uh, videos and uh, outreach, and as well as be all ready, you know, to combat all these crazy laws but what's going to happen is that it's very hard to reverse a law and and they tried to stop night driving um, you know looking at for reptiles on roads public roads in Texas and they did illegal and then we fought them for two years 
got that overturned. So where I'm going with all this is that not only do we have to be aware of the laws, but one of the things that's probably going to happen is that only animals that are captive bred will be the thing that's really available. And uh, some wild imports are going to stop, and I think there's a good argument for that. You know, we could, that's a whole other show. But, but the leopard gecko is a model animal. It's easy to breed. It's very forg- uh, forgiving for the beginner. You know, the people are just starting to make errors, and they still hang in there, the gecko. And mm-hmm. they're great they're great for research. They're, you know, they're, I supply a lot of, you know, eggs and geckos that, that you know, they're not being tortured or, or being killed. They're being used for uh, reproductive experiments and temperature-related things with the scientists. So uh, leopard geckos are, are a great one that, for everyone to start with. Couldn't be a better pet. And I love your video about uh, how to talk, you know, uh, your parents into letting you have a leopard gecko when you're young and at home and at their mercy. It's, it's just great. 85,000 views. Yeah, and I think I spotted some of my geckos I sent you in that in that tub, I, I think so. Yep, but, uh, yep. Any, I, I that, it's funny, I sell thousands of geckos and I can recognize them all. It's really crazy. But um, yep. anyway, uh, yeah, I... I you know, the beginners, uh, you know, the shows, some of these shows, you know, it's just the sponsor selling tables that's making the money. They'll, they, you know, they'll schedule them at bad times or, you know, we had one here not too long ago in our area. They scheduled it for the opening day of deer season, you know, which is a big thing in Texas. <laughs> you know, there are more vendors there than public almost. So, you mm-hmm. know, uh Running out and getting a table is is fun, you know. I mean, you know, it's just one of the. I'll tell you one story. You're gonna love this, and I, it, it's cute, you know. It's a cute story. I was, I was when the big Florida Expo was in Orlando. It was there for ten years. And now it's been in Daytona for fourteen years, and I've been at all twenty-four of them, and. Uh, so I, we were in Orlando and going up the elevator, and this guy said, are you breeding anything? And I said, yeah, I've got some animals here. And he says, we, we, we are breeders, too. Uh, we got some leopard geckos. And we come down from from North Dakota. And uh, I said, great, and I'll see you, see you at this setup, you know. Oh, they were setting up, and I went by, and and, you know, they had, like, six cups out on this big table and they had this big portfolio, this this album of their two leopard geckos. I forgot their names, thank goodness. And uh and uh and their six babies. Well they had learned that, you know, if you're a breeder, you come to the you know, the big Orlando Expo, the Florida Expo, and you sell. And so here they had come all the way from North Dakota, probably spent two thousand dollars and they had six plastic cups on this huge table, and I went by there Saturday afternoon, and they were gone, and there was just a sign on the table, sold out, see you next year. <laughs> it was That's so weird. Cute. 
so cute and hilarious, but but a lot of people, you know, want to get involved at that level. And this this couple had a ball. They had a vacation, and they came down from South Dakota, and you know, bought a mm-hmm. two hundred dollar table to to sell sixty dollars worth of geckos. And you know, I mean, <laughs> this is what they did, and they had a ball with it. And so there's, you know, it can be frustrating though because people think that. They do the math, and they think, oh, boy, even if I get 50% and this and that. And, you know, I think things are going to turn around. And I, I think the more people doing stuff, the better. We, you know, uh, there's a lot of information. It's it's a lot, you know, easier to succeed than 20 years ago, 30 years ago when I started. We, we didn't know how to breed anything, Harley. That's why we wanted to do leopard geckos. Hey Ron, you know you haven't. I'm sure there's some luck involved in your in how you've been able to, you know, ride this wave for so long. And but it's it's not luck because you're also very. You, you got to be smart and well, you are smart obviously. And you got to be you got to be good at marketing and you're a good businessman. You've been able to keep this going, like you said, for thirty some years, uh, just self sufficient on its own. When you first started this with Leopard Geckos. Did you think that it would ever? Did you? What were? You, what was going on? Like, did what were your fears and struggles in in the beginning? And what what was going on in your head when you didn't know, you know, if this was going to be a, a a thing that was going to take off or not? Can you tell us a little bit about the the beginnings of Ron Tremper and and leopard geckos and herpetoculture, if you will? You bet. Well, I started when I was just seven or eight years old collecting turtles and tortoises and I got hooked on that and by the time I was 12 years old uh, I had a huge collection of turtles and tortoises had read every scientific paper and book on turtles and tortoises all my friends that I hung around with in California at the Academy of Sciences and around Fresno and in San Diego were all like 40 to 70 years old and I'd be at these meetings, if, you know, my folks would have to take me because uh, I was 12 years old. And uh, so it's been a passion all my life. So I've had that burning desire. And one of the things that was my hot button was uh, I wanted to breed and hatch something. I wanted to breed something myself and see it hatch. And none of us knew how to do any of that back then. No, we, It was even hard just to get reptiles to live mm-hmm. or find some to buy at a store or a dealer. And, uh, you know, it's just crazy. I got some old price lists I had to post up sometime. It's just unbelievable from the 60s where, you know, things are 25 cents and this and that. But that's, a, that's another talk. But so I got into this, and as I got further into it, I decided that one of I had two goals to be curator of reptiles at a zoo, a real herpetologist paid full time to do reptiles. That was one of my life's goals. And the other one was that's led me to this point was to do what I call reptile ranching, and that is large scale captive breeding. And at the time my mindset was because I worked for a zoo 
and we had all these educational and conservation sort of ideals flowing through our veins. Um, I wanted to breed enough animals of some species to stop the wild importation. And so when I read these articles about this hospital in England breeding leopard geckos, I said, uh-huh, here's something that I can do and see some results. I was breeding a few turtles and tortoises at home uh, while I was doing my zoo career and uh, in Fresno and uh, also, you know, pioneered some amphibian breeding and so forth. And uh, so I, I was a zoo curator, so I got tapped into my colleagues. I contacted the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., my friends there. They had a couple surplus animals. One was 12 years old and was like 16-year-old female, if you can imagine. So, And then I, Ernie Wagner up at the, the Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle had a group of leopard geckos, and he was really getting into snake breeding at the time. This is when the first you know, all the corn snake breeding was taking off, and he was kind of tired of the leopard gecko thing. They were breeding them. And he had some what I call Indian-type leopard geckos. They were high yellows. And uh, I went up there in 1977 or 78 and bought all his. And so it all started out where I just wanted to mass-produce so many leopard geckos that Pet Farm and Cowzo and some of the Bronx reptiles weren't going to import them from the wild, that they were going to buy healthy animals for the same price from me and that I could just produce, you know, 300 leopard geckos in a year. This would be great, you know, kind of thing. And mm -hmm. um, so that's where it took off. And I was producing them and... Um, it wasn't until I uh, hatched my first one in 1978 or 79, uh, and it wasn't until like 1991 that a baby hatched with that wasn't banded, just just getting normal banded leopard geckos, and a baby hatch that had sort of a hairpin pattern. It was the, the stri dark stripes were connected up at the neck. And, uh, of course, I was trying to hold on to everything and increase, so I was hatching everything to be females. So the next year I bred her back to her father. And lo and behold, hatched two perfectly striped babies, her first wow. babe. So when striped from the neck all the way down like we see nowadays. And this was about 1991 or 92. And it crossed my mind then since the corn snake morphs had started up full swing by then. That was really the first kind of morph model. Ball python morphs didn't come on until the last 10 or 12 years. It's, that's They're relatively all new. Um, mm -hmm. But the corn snake thing was really taking off, and I said to myself, you know what, maybe there's something here that can be expressed, so what better thing to do? I was breeding them anyway, so I just started breeding 
the strange-looking ones to each other. And so uh, the very next, later that year, I got what I called the jungle phase ones, uh, the marble body asymmetrical pattern and, you know, funny-looking tail that we see today, the jungle mm-hmm. phase. And uh, and then the next year I was breeding again, and I got the first reverse stripes out of the stripes. And uh, it started hitting, and then... You know, there was, we are trying to get orange up off the tail. You know, I had a little bit of orange on the tail on leopard geckos. I remember in 1994, when we just moved here to Texas, we've been here 20 years now, and Bill Brandt from Gourmet Rodent was here with his wife, and he looked and things over, and he, he took off with leopard geckos because of a speech I made in, in Florida way back, he turned some of his rodent buildings into leopard gecko breeding, and he's gone really far with it. And he was there in my hallway, and it was just so crazy. I mean, all of us are so crazy with these colors and genetics and and all that. You know, one of the bumpy conical scales on one of my leopard geckos was bright orange. We were looking at one bump the size of a pinhead <laughs> on a normal leopard gecko. Mind you, there was no albinos yet until 99. And uh, we were all excited. I mean, we were like jumping up and down and ooing and talking, and you'd, you'd think we had just bought the Mona Lisa or something. And, uh, and we were all excited about one orange spot because we figured we could get one orange spot on the body, then we could line breed and get more. And so... We took off with that, and he developed um, what I call the Florida strain hypos, the hypotangerines. He came out with them and had a lot of them because he had all these big buildings and employees, and then he got on with Petco. But, uh, you know, he started with rodent breeding, and uh, that's why they've kept that name. But, uh, yeah, so things stopped you know, started slow like that. So it really wasn't until the early 90s when I saw a few mutations that I thought, okay, this there's some cool stuff going here. Let's just see, you know, how far I can go with it. And when you start breeding mutation to mutation, you have a better chance of, of uh, coming up with something nice or interesting. And then about 90... 1993 or four, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, Murphy pattern list occurred, and these other guys, not not Pat Murphy, but some guys that helped, you know, promote that gecko and got their hands on it, all left California. They decided it was a leucistic leopard gecko, and unfortunately, that name has stuck and was improper and and they also the same people that named the blazing blizzard blazing blizzard thinking it was going to hatch with all orange eyes i had already tested it and there's nothing blazing about a blazing blizzard unfortunately and uh so at any rate um names can stick and you have to be careful about that but uh that's sort of how it took off 
is just a random mutation after I've been breeding for, no, 12, 13 years before the That's first amazing. leopard gecko. First leopard gecko That's... ever had that wasn't perfectly banded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about now, now to, to, to expand on that a little bit, Ron, you know, you've become famous for developing and giving the world the bandit. Um, when did you start seeing that, or wh- what was your vision for that? And another, I'd like to add one more uh, point to this question is, um, do you think there's, besides an artistic vision, do you think that there's a mental component involved in in how these things are, are progressing? And if there's, I don't want to say like a supernatural thing, because that sounds too weird, but do you think that there's more of an intuitive uh, force involved in basically, like, you know, you, you said that you saw one orange bump on this gecko. Now, yeah. your vision, obviously, at the time was to get more orange, and in turn, that's what happened. So, do you think there's something else going on here besides that? And if you could tell us about the bandit, that would be really cool. Well, yeah. In fact, it's interesting you say that. Bill Brandt, um sat down with me because he's a big businessman and he saw how I was creating all these things and coming up with morphs and developing stuff. And he sat down and he goes, Ron, what I see is there's three components to reptile breeding. It's having the finances, having the knowledge, and having the space. And I said, yeah, Bill, but there's a fourth. He said, what's that, Ron? I said, there's an art to it. There is an art. And um, I don't mean to sound funny here, but obviously people have noticed that there's hundreds of thousands, literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of leopard geckos around the world, tens of thousands of people keeping them. And uh, I keep turning out some new discoveries and new morphs. Um, One reason for that is that I I have only let like 10 animals into my group in the last 36 years. So I keep peeling back all these hidden genes and, and, um, you know, we find some bad genes too, some lethal genes sometimes. geckos with no eyes, geckos with no tail. You know, we could produce geckos like the difference between an English bulldog and an Afghan hound, Uh, different body conformation, no tails and stuff, but that's not my thing. And maybe 100 years from now, people are going to be doing that. But uh, I'd like to keep the basic conformation myself, a little old school that way. But... Uh, I'm a keen observer and uh, very determined, and I keep good records. Um, And so it's not hard for me to do something that takes four years. Uh, Most people won't hang in there that long. It takes a lot of space, a lot of time, and and just sheer determination. But basically, Dave, what I do... I don't know if other people do this, but I see it all done. 
and then my mind organizes all the steps, and I just do everything in between from where I am now to where I see it all done. That's how I function. That's interesting. So, um, I, I I kind of just, you know, just from my own experience too, like it's weird, but I've seen certain things, little traits in some of my animals, Ron, and I've kind of wished for that to be reproduced, and occasionally it happens in a couple of my projects here. Uh, is that is that something strange, or is you know? I don't know. Well, I think what that happens is, is that um, there's basically in leopard geckos, what you see is what you get. You know, you breed two pretty ones together. Uh, in most cases, you're going to get pretty young. You know, um, there's some morphs, some genes that don't aren't reliable and predictable, but um, most part, what you see is what you get. So anyone listening out there or anyone at any point, whether you've been doing this 20 years or 20 minutes, can say, okay, I've got the passion. I'm going to set a goal. I want to just make my own Diablo Blanco. I don't want to buy one. I want to make my own. They can reproduce the results and, and do a combination morph. And, you know, being a keen observer is very important. Uh, yeah, looking for one spot on the body, that's how things can happen. And sometimes it works really well and sometimes, you know, it doesn't. I pursue different avenues here all the time. You know, I show that one example of the big blue spot on the albino's tail. It turned out it was a birthmark and this was the oxygenated blood going through the birthmark and making it blue. I tried for three years to duplicate that blue because I figured we get orange on the tail. Now we've got a big blue spot on the tail, as big as a dime. I can get mm -hmm. that blue on the body. And we've got orange on the body. You know, we'll put blue on the body. It was just a birthmark. So mm -hmm. that was outlined in, in my book. Yeah, it was just a birthmark, that one. You know, and then, you know, the blue belly animal that's just the turquoise blue baby that's pictured there. I mean, I I just really thought I had hit the holy grail, and then when those proteins that produce that color turned off, uh, you know, at 10 weeks of age, they, they rise all those animals, though, or the, the pastel line. And I might mention that I'm going to go breed uh, my best male pastel to uh, non-pastel morphs, in other words, hypos and and uh, extreme amorines and all, you know, the way I'm seeing this thing, it, it might be another color enhancer gene. It might not be just locked into the fact that these are the three blue belly animals that all had red eyes and, and all. So that's a little hint of something I'm working on. I'm going to test breed. But uh, nice. one, one thing that uh, people tried, you know, and I've tried for a lot of generations, is uh, uh, let's take the creamy yellow of the bandit and replace it with bright orange. So we keep that concentrated black like no other non-albino has and put orange. You know, I've tried that for now this the sixth year to make what I, you know, originally I called them Halloween and I gave up on them and, and sold that group to Albie. 
and he had that Halloween line for a while. And uh, then I had a, a, a really great worker here that wanted to try it, so we tried for some, some uh, you know, years, and uh, it just doesn't match up. just doesn't match up at all. And so, uh, in any rate, um, the uh, bandit uh, was a random mutation. Um, I had my jungle face leopard geckos, and uh, I I found an old slide of an advertisement I had put up um, 1995, showing a, what at the time I called them jungle designers, and that term designer is still around but they were high contrast with lavender. In fact, there was a company called Gecko Wear or Herp Wear or something used, um, I still have some of their clothing, used uh, uh, the first bandits uh, as their logo embroidered on the shirts. And um, hmm. Ju- Julie Bergman came out here in the summer of 96 for the IHS meetings at the San Antonio Zoo. And, of course, I had just been here a couple years, and uh, we were giving tours. And she came out and bought my first first bandit. And uh, at first they, they had that high, high contrast, that very high black saturated pigment as adults. And, um, but they had uh, a number of spots on the head. Uh, too much black spots besides the pinheads, and I so I line bred for 12 years, re- eliminated the um, the spots on the head down to just three or four. Uh, and in the course of doing using those jungle designers, which some people call bolts now, that uh, so we had had them about 94, 95, I guess it was that picture I found from an ad that said 1995. It showed a tangerine diamondback, you know, leopard gecko and a um, bandit and a striper or reverse stripe in the ad. And uh, so uh, when I was breeding for reduced head spots, the, the band across the nose showed up. So that's when I changed from calling them jungle designers to bandits. The band across the nose and the bandit is kind of a nice marketing term. And... Uh, they're my favorite morph. They're, a they're amazing. Polygenic, they're a polygenic morph, and uh, I posted up a couple of mails today that, uh, you know, when the band's across the nose, uh, some people like to call that full mask, and I, I kind of like that term. And, uh, it, you know, and uh, but it's polygenic, and the band across the nose doesn't, uh, you breed two with a full mass together, you'll get about 70, 80% of offspring that have uh, have the band across the nose. And uh, those that don't have it perfectly or this or that, I call bold bandits because since it's polygenic, it's, uh, you know, can't, it's not, doesn't act like a true recessive. You're not guaranteed to getting it like breeding two albinos together, which are two recessives. So, right. uh, but, so it's important for breeders to know to pick the best examples because I, what I do is I, I have hundreds of those produced and then I just save the best examples with the best black to breed each year and keep it going. If you don't, it'll wander away from what I call the perfection of the bandit right now, the best bandits, and 
you'll get the broken uh, nose band or, or partial or a little V. Uh, it's not, and uh, you'll notice that on the bandits, they have black nostrils. There's a black pigment in the nostril opening. And, uh, and you'll get a uh, more intricate head pattern. Uh, for me, you know, I select what I like that is pleasing to my eye, and some people like more intricate head pattern. And because I've bred for, you know, reduced head spots, and uh, they have three or four, uh, we have a lot of them that look like a happy face or a nose and a mustache or, uh, you know, put up a happy face one today, in fact. You know, we have dozens of those. And it doesn't breathe true, but it, we get like 10, 10, 15% of the bandits all have a happy face. <laughs> so That's I, amazing. They're great more. I've supersized them, and they're, they're you know, We've got some giants and super giants, and you know, I, 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 years ago, I used to show my very, very best animals, and it kind of backfired. You know, I mean, I don't mind showing breeding stock a little bit, and I showed a little bit on your page this week, but generally, you know, people are funny. They, they see something that's better than the one for sale, and then it kind of turns them off. They can't unring the bell. You know, so yeah. if you show people something that they can't buy, it frustrates them and sometimes causes them to to just sort of go on, you know, pause, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, right. it can work against you. So, yeah, I'm kind of known for being secretive. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've i got, you know, my, my best breeding bandits, I mean, people would just, fall over you just can't can't even imagine how jet midnight black with you know almost chartreuse yellow and and uh, not one spot of black on the yellow pigment you know and so stuff I keep for myself is you know high level and you know I really like the work of a lot of people out there there's some great combos going on some beautiful stuff and I'm I'm gathering up, you know, some nice more photos to update the uh, Leopard Gecko Pro app. We've had some of the breeders overseas, blah, blah, blah. I won't mention any names. <laughs> but they've uh, uh, <laughs> been slow at getting their photos in. And so uh, I, I haven't been able to update the app, but there's some really cool morphs. And I've tried to, you know, bring us a good sampling of the various combo morphs and cool stuff that's happening in in Europe and the United States and uh, and Canada. Uh, the the Asians still haven't come up. I, I would say they're about six to ten years behind us on on the breeding thing. They're still trying to figure out how to keep the animals and get insects and breed them and. And there's some of that going on, but I think, you know, the Pacific Rim will be producing some morphs eventually, some something cool. But um, anyway, um, yeah, the bandits, I love it. You know, I, I, I do this stuff because it pleases my eye. So it's kind of cool to think of something you want to do and and create it as living art and, you know, 
that's the thing. I do it because it pleases me. I have to follow the market, too. And um, so I've jumped in and got all the other uh, albino uh, lines and the white and yellows. And, and uh, you know, we're making uh, super typhoons and radar uh, eclipse and different things. And, uh, you know, so I think I have all the genetic components here under, under my roof now. So we'll have a good year. That's cool, and you know, we're 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 actually got about seven minutes left, and um, there's a, I'd like to get a couple more questions in with you. I don't think we're gonna have time for phone calls tonight, everyone. But um, you know, Ron, there's so much that we could we could talk to you about, and you know, I I know we were talking, and you have an interest of in in doing more radio possibly in the future, and certainly this this platform is is wide open to you whenever you want. You know, you could even host something if you'd like. It's you have free reign as, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, you know, there's things that I wish we could talk about, like your travels, and you know, there's so many different you know topics of advice that you could give us on husbandry. Um, but I guess you know, in closing for the show, um, maybe you can give some give maybe a hint of what's to come. In the next, uh, in the upcoming years, uh, from from your end, I, I wouldn't expect you to give away your secrets, uh, but maybe you can talk a little bit about the uh, the platinum and whatever else uh, you'd like to talk about in the in a few minutes, if you will, and also give you this time to um, give some closing remarks to the uh, listeners. <clears throat> I'd be happy to. Well, I I see this. You know, I write a column called the Tramper Insider for the biggest Japanese magazine, a reptile magazine. It comes out every three months called Vibrarium Guide. And I, I also write that column uh, this, under the same name, but uh, different content for John Taylor for his uh, his uh, digital magazine that you're going to be covering next week. So mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the thing is, in those columns, I've pointed out that uh, I feel that the reptile industry, uh, especially leopard geckos, has got a huge future. Uh, there's there's some great things uh, going to pull, I hope, you know, during my lifetime. I'm, I I will say I'm, I'm working on the all-black leopard gecko. Uh, I don't have any black pearl genetics here. I'm doing my own thing. Uh, the black pearl really hasn't panned out as adults, and we really don't know what um, the all-black leopard gecko would look like as a baby uh, because pigments move in leopard geckos so much. Uh, You can start out with an all-black baby like some of these super snows look like or or some, uh, you know, midnight blizzards. Um, And, you know, the pigments, as we know, lighten up change, migrate, uh, temperature sometimes has a, you know, a lasting effect. But uh, I feel like, you know, there's basically three or four people in the world that are hot on the trail of an all-black leopard gecko. I think it's going to happen, you know, come to the market within five years. I would think uh, something's going to break through. We want to see the best Thing possible would be um, 
a genetic all black leopard gecko. Mm-hmm. A true melanistic. Uh the uh line bread thing is is always going to be fraught with problems and and charlatans out there that are trying to dupe people into believing this gecko's gonna stay black as and try to sell babies or this or that. And so people have to be careful. But that's one thing I do. I, I you know, I spend a lot of time uh, you know, my own reputation is very important to me, and and so I take an extra year or two to test things, lay it all out, uh, have animals, you know, that people can rely on, and uh, but I think you know, um, I'm I'm working on uh, a. Uh, an all-white leopard gecko with blotches of of uh, normal pattern with all red eyes. Oh, cool! And yeah, this is a little shaker for for the community right now as I announced that. Um, I don't have one yet, but I feel like I'm very close, and I'll know more by August. And we'll announce it on your show, splash a picture on Gecko Nation Facebook page or something if we have something cool that happens. But uh, yeah, you know, there's I just keep peeling away all these layers of hidden genetics that are in the leopard geckos, and I think anyone looking at just purebred dogs can easily see. That that's what we're doing with leopard geckos. We're creating these traits that can be bred and predicted, and they just like getting purebred breeds of dogs. We're doing that with the leopard geckos, and you know we may get the genetic stripe one day. I'm starting to think that that there's some things turning up here mathematically, where I bred reverse stripe. The reverse stripe is the first time I ever got, you know, 16 all reverse stripe babies. Always the stripes broken, right? You see that too, Dave, you know? Yep. Yeah, there, you know, because it's not a true recessive, it's a polygenic trait, and you get broken reverse stripe, dashes down the back, partial. Um, so we've got a lot to look forward to, and somebody, you know, that's just getting in, can make their mark, just takes passion, desire, and set some goals. I encourage everybody to just go slow. Don't quit your day job. Don't ask your father-in-law for a big investment of money to go crazy. You know, <laughs> keep it fun. Keep it, you know, as your hobby. I agree. And we can go over a little bit. We're not, you know, it's not going to cut us off. It'll it'll go into the recorded section, but... Um, Ron, you're a wealth of knowledge, and you're you really are an inspiration to a lot of new people and seasoned breeders out there that uh, emulate what you do. And uh, I'm a I'm a huge admirer of your work, and uh, I just seriously want to thank you for giving us your time tonight. And also, uh, you know that you have an open invitation to come on the show anytime you want. And uh, I hope you take me up on that, and I hope uh, to have you back. And for the listeners. Uh, 
Ron is going to be on the show in a few weeks. We're going to be doing the uh, show, the roundtable discussion about morph making, and that'll be with Ron, uh, Rebecca Hassler of Dragoon Gecko, Dragoon Gecko, and uh, Matt Veronica of Sasabek Reptiles. So that's going to be a really great show. And um, but yeah, Ron, thank you so much for all that you've given us with Leopard Geckos. We would not be having as much fun as we are with these little guys if it wasn't for you. I recognized that early on in my my uh, career with, with geckos and such. But um, uh, I just really appreciate everything that you do. So thank you. Well, thank you, Dave. I appreciate being on, and I'm looking forward to next month. We're going to rock another show for sure. Awesome. All right, cool. All right, I'll let you go, Ron, and I'll be in touch soon. Thanks again. Fantastic. Take it. Bye-bye. All right. Good night. Good night. All right, everybody. Another terrific show. Wow, that's some some pretty cool uh, news, right? Uh, some exclusive first in the world news about what he's working on, as far as some interesting new projects. That's 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 real cool. I mean, I know there's some some weird, a lot of uh, not a lot, but there's a few uh, uh, just crazy half albino, half normal geckos out there. I know Matt's got a couple cool ones. But uh, if he can prove something out like that genetic, that would be really, really interesting. Um, let's see. Uh, I had a few things planned for the end of the show. Uh, but let me play the outro first, and then I will come back with my closing remarks. Hang tight, everybody. Well, if I can find the outro first. Here we go. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance and U.S. ARC. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to support both of these organizations. Please donate to U.S. ARC so that they have the funds needed to legally protect pet owners' rights nationwide. You can donate to the U.S. ARC Legal Defense Fund at www.usarc.org. If you would also like to learn about advocacy and how you can take action on a state and local level, please subscribe to the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance newsletter and blog at www.usherp.org. Okay, and um, at the end of the show, I'm going to give you guys a choice. Uh, I, I'm beginning to play uh, music again, and a lot of you guys like the scores and uh, musical pieces that I played in the past, so I'll give you a choice. You guys in the chat room that are still listening can make a decision between uh, a, theme, a score from The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, which I thought would be appropriate because we had just had the king on, or I have, let's see, the other one that I have here. Um, where'd it go? 
Oh, and the other one I have is from uh, Batman Begins. It's, in a, it's, a, it's called The Aggressive Expansion of the, one of the scores from Batman Begins. It's a, basically a hyped-up version. So uh, you guys can pick. I'll look in the chat room here. Uh, my closing remarks are this. I <laughs> I was amazed at this this interview. This was this was one of those shows that was highly anticipated. anticipated. And um, I don't know. I just feel like uh, we just covered a lot of great. As you can see, Ron is the type of person that is just a wealth of knowledge and can just keep talking and really just be very entertaining as a guest. And I wish we could have crammed in a lot more content in the time that we have, but we can only do so much. And, you know, sooner or later we'll just start falling asleep. But he's going to be coming on in in the next couple weeks. So um, I'm looking forward to that, everybody. So I just want to thank everybody. He made a comment that, you know, he was saying that things things online he have gotten, you know, with Gecko Nation being as good as it is and everybody being as cool as they are in that group have pretty much given him – uh, the inspiration to post more online and on Facebook, which is really cool. And I just want to thank all of you guys out there in the group. It's because of how we are in that group that makes the difference. And I want to thank Jay. Jay Doe is his screen name on on uh, Facebook for uh, making a great post about Gecko Nation recently. And he's right on. Uh, this This group that we've put together is more or less an experiment, communication, and Basically, if we can do things differently, even some of us that don't get along so well can basically behave and make the hobby look good, make us all look good, make the community look good. And uh, so far, we're accomplishing that very, very well. And uh, it's a model. It really is. There's a lot of groups that are going drama-free now uh, that are just doing things differently. And I just want to thank all of you guys for making the Gecko Nation group a success. We just... Uh, topped over a thousand members. I think we're up to 1,100 now, and that's only the group is only like four months old. That's incredible. So, I mean, that's all you guys. That's that's great. So, thank you, everybody. All right, I'm not going to talk all night. I'm kind of like in like a great buzzed mood because I know we just did an awesome show, and I feel like I want to keep talking, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm not going to bore you guys all night. So, we're going to jump ahead and we're going to go ahead and play the the ending piece and. For all you people in the chat room, I think we had a total of 33 people in the chat room tonight. It doesn't matter if there's one person or 50 people in the chat room. I think it's great that you guys are participating in the show, and that keeps me motivated. Um, I'll do the show if only one person is in the chat room. It, it's just all fun to me. It's, it's even better when I see a lot of people that, uh, that are benefiting from it and enjoying it. So thank you, everybody. All right. I'm going to end the show. Check out this tune. And thanks again, everybody, for joining us tonight. It's Oh, and just by everybody, it seems like everybody wants the Lord of the Rings. So here it is. And this is Howard Shore.
I love that piece. That's just an energizing uh, piece. That's the scene um, towards the end of The Return of the King, by the way. Uh, great, great piece. All right, everybody. I love you all, Gecko Nation. You guys are awesome. Until next week. Next week, we have Jason, Jason Shanaman, uh, a very well-known herp artist, uh, animal artist. He does a lot of different sculptures, uh, pre- mostly with animals and stuff. There's a lot of different reptile-related sculpting. Um, really interesting work. I think it'll be a great show uh, just to see what inspires him and his technique. And if you guys ever have any artistic uh, plans, you may want to uh, tune into this show. You may, it might give you some inspiration, possibly, maybe some ideas. Uh, so definitely tune in. All right, everyone. Until next time. And that was the Tokay Gecko saying goodnight.